0: What's up everyone, this is Matt. Uh, I was recently asked to give a short talk on the topic of individualism, and asked also to specifically reference this book called Hidden Worldviews. Um, It's quite a terrible book, honestly, uh, in different ways, but yeah, figured I would share it with you. Peace. Despite what your mother, therapist, pastor, or your favorite retail store that sends you coupons on your birthday, despite what any of them may have told you, you are not that special. I know that's hard to hear, because you feel special, don't you? Don't get me wrong, you are unique, and individual. But then again, so is everyone else. In American society, we tend to think of the individual as the locus of creative agency. Everyone is the author of their own story, a potential hero deserving of a cape. It's a bit of a thin line between narcissism and individualism, really. As a worldview, individualism assumes certain metaphysical properties which, typically unnoticed and unexamined, inform how people ought to relate to one another. Whether cooperating or competing, The central idea that we are separate, atomized units, ready to be organized whichever way the market determines is most effective or beneficial, is simply assumed. It's no wonder that today's corporate culture is completely obsessed with providing employees quote-unquote, community, as it's precisely the same logic which destroyed it in the first place. The invisible hand giveth and taketh away. Today, I will argue that individualism is a construction that developed in accordance with certain features of modernity, such as reductionism and a general dissecting and compartmentalization of reality, and that the results of this procedure are then taken to be reality as such. At bottom, this takes the basic metaphysical view that the world is made of stuff that is potentially infinitely divisible, and that this has led to all kinds of unanticipated problems. It's a topic I've spent a fair amount of time thinking about, tracking its development through the late Renaissance, though there are identifiable forerunners as well, through early modernity and the scientific revolution up to the present day. In what follows, I will discuss individualism in three registers. First, I'll discuss the basic metaphysical view, underpinning individualism before talking about some of the more troubling effects for society, particularly in cultural and economic terms. Finally, I'll say something about individualism within a uniquely American context. Now, I've used this word metaphysics twice already, and it's not my intention to intimidate or leave anyone behind. So let me attempt something of a definition. Simply put, metaphysics concerns the nature of, and relations among, the things that exist in the world. It's a way of talking about the ultimate foundation for what reality really is. It happens there are various kinds of possible metaphysics to which one might subscribe, knowingly or unknowingly, and all of them, almost by definition, are speculative. The metaphysical framework known as magic, for example, imagined a cosmos full of intraconnective tissue, to the point where coincidence was more likely to be understood, not as random, co-presenting events, but rather co-arising, bound together within a web of hidden meanings and relations. The world of magic was understood to be a whole from which no individual could ever really stand apart. This isn't to suggest medieval peasants couldn't tell one person from the next, or that such a view lent itself to what we would today call something like unity. Only that, as I've said, all creatures, and indeed everything, were bound together by mysterious correspondences. The European Enlightenment and the Scientific Revolution severed the webs of interconnectedness, disabusing our silly, superstitious, and possibly stupid ancestors. I hope you hear my tongue in cheek here. Of the idea that anything but matter really mattered. It was incredibly successful, in large part because it worked. Humans learned of the planets and the atom, improved dentistry, invented the internal combustion engine. Life started moving faster. Plus, we had gotten rid of all those pesky superstitions—demons, monsters, angels, and the rest. Also, stepping on a rusty nail wouldn't kill you anymore. Human existence improved dramatically. Everything could be understood by chopping it up into little pieces to see how it all worked. Creation itself became the subject of our experimentation. The shrieks and howls of our subjects be damned, or simply ignored. With time, we forgot that the results of these reductive procedures were only possible because of the assumptions built into the very methods which produced them in the first place. What resulted from this forgetfulness was an understanding, one which for quite a long while now has stood as the prevailing view, that reality is nothing other than matter in motion. Everything came to be ultimately understood in terms of its constitutive elements. The whole became lost. Magic left the world and eventually we became the victims of our own experiments. We too, so the logic goes, are simply matter in motion, devoid of spirit. A collection of atoms in the same way a society was nothing more than a collection of human individuals. Everything could be broken down, analyzed, catalogued, processed, reorganized. Don't get me wrong, much good has come of this too. I don't mean to sound completely negative, but I hope that gives you some idea of the metaphysical grounds of individualism, how it developed, and why it's the subject of much critique these days. As we move along, it's important to keep in mind that one's metaphysical assumptions rarely rise to the surface. Typically, they first become recognizable at the level of myth, or story if you prefer. Indeed, Steve Wilkins and Mark Sanford, in their book Hidden Worldviews, explain in the introduction that it is story, which is the locus for all subsequent meaning-making and ethics. Though, when they say story, what they really mean is tradition, which is fair enough. Though, given the apologetic nature of their project, they would likely take issue with the suggestion that tradition and myth have much of anything to do with one another. Nevertheless, they write that story later becomes convictional belief. Propositions, in essence, about the nature of reality, and how that understanding of reality radiates outward to shape our ethics. Even while they make something of a caricature of the idea, even managing to conflate it with one of their other boogeymen, so-called postmodern relativism, in their chapter on individualism they nonetheless touch on some meaningful ideas, basically equating individualism, at least in the way they take pains to describe it, as a kind of idiocy, the Latin root of that word meaning private, which is to say, unconcerned with others thus rendering individualism idiotic by definition. It's not hard to imagine how such a view would impact social and political life. And yet this is precisely the view most often promoted by capitalism, which functions best when people understand themselves to be isolated units who carry out their affairs either in cooperation or competition. Either one will do. What's important is to ensure people internalize certain basic assumptions about work, production, value, etc., so that their personal successes and failures are understood to be their own, and not at all the results of the success or failure of the way our social life is mediated and often prescribed by forces which precede us and remain largely beyond our control. So, while individualism is a problem, the problem they really want to identify, I claim, isn't so much individualism as such as evidenced by their acknowledgement of certain positive features. The real problem, one which they noticeably avoid, Is a kind of neoliberal ideology propagated by the ruling class, who are under the direct influence of mammon. That old devil. Before moving on to my final point, I can't resist calling attention to an obvious and almost ridiculous potential contradiction in their argument. They write, The idea that our value is measured by our accomplishments can be seen in our idea of the hero. Our attention is riveted on the extraordinary individual who saves the day, because saving the day is what makes one worthwhile. While I'm sympathetic to the basic polemical thrust, I can't help but wonder how such a statement might square with their Christology. Perhaps I've grown too cynical, or perhaps it's something simply in the water, as many Americans these days fashion themselves as a simulacrum of Diogenes, the original cynic, holding a lit lantern aloft as he walked the sunlit streets of Athens, telling curious onlookers that he was searching for an honest man. Such are the legion of fools masquerading as cynics in our time. Snake oil has always been big business, and no one does big, or business, better than America. A nation which inscribed into its founding documents a certain variety of individualism, even if what that amounted to was not quite liberty and justice for all, but only for those with the power to make such a bold declaration in the first place. Freedom was for educated persons of European descent, the pursuit of happiness, a synonym for exploitation. Thus, since the beginning, we have understood ourselves to be, in the first place, individuals, but also individuals endowed by the Creator with certain rights. It's quite literally baked into the American consciousness, and you can find it everywhere you turn. I'm not even sure something like democracy would be possible without it. It's perfectly fine to be critical of a certain kind of what I would call toxic individualism, one which doesn't play nicely with others. And undoubtedly such a view has been something of a destructive cultural force. But does this mean that we should completely abandon the idea of ourselves as individuals? I recall countless occasions when my mother would remind me, I'm not the center of the universe. Of course, what she meant to indicate is that I ought to consider others more often and with more care. And, as usual, my mother was right. But is it really true that I'm not the center of the universe? After all, if I'm not the center, where is it? Where would I look? Undoubtedly, there will be those who eagerly respond, why, God, of course. I'm perfectly happy to go along with such a response, inasmuch as it communicates something about one's orientation toward a certain way of valuing, and evaluating the world, and one's relation to it and others. To my way of thinking, the centering of God in this way by no means precludes the idea that each point in the universe is its ontological center. As medieval theologian Nicholas of Cusa famously put it, God is an infinite sphere whose center is everywhere and whose periphery is nowhere at the risk of coming across as pedantic, I think it bears repeating. God is an infinite sphere whose center is everywhere and whose periphery is nowhere. It's hard to imagine. Despite its potential for being somewhat abused, individualism is here to stay. The mass onboarding of the underlying metaphysic is more often than not these days simply a given, and the results have been mixed. As already indicated, there are plenty of unpleasant examples to which one might point, but the basic idea isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Rather than focusing on the downsides, presenting individualism as something which contradicts more holistic communal forms of living which I don't believe it inherently does, perhaps it would be better to attend to the potential upside. What would it mean, for example, to take the constitutional view already mentioned to heart? In posing the question, it's not at all my intention to come across as an apologetic constitutionalist, laboring under the desire to make liberalism great again, only that it's possible to understand there are better and worse versions of individualism without jettisoning the idea entirely. So, as I've outlined, individualism can't really be thought apart from the simultaneously productive and problematic philosophical inheritance of modernity, but neither should one be naive or myopic enough to believe that such views are incompatible with more traditional expressions of faith, Christian or otherwise.